All right. Welcome, everyone, to the Project Esports podcast featuring just me today. Um, just me, just Dylan. Um, so today, I'm going to pop off about some esports. So for our normal Thursday episode, um, or I guess abnormal Thursday episodes, um, we've been doing a, some new content. And I was thinking a lot about what I wanted to do for this content, and I had a little bit of things about collegiate esports, and I kind of want to talk about card games in esports too, um, and I couldn't really make up my mind on what I wanted to do exactly, so I kind of figured, hey, let's talk about just esports in general. Um, so yeah, I have a couple different things I want to pop off about, so to speak. Um, so yeah, let's go ahead and just start this right up. Um, I have a couple different topics I want to talk about. Uh, feel free to post in the chat if you're watching this live. Um, I'll ask or I'll answer any questions that you might have uh, about some of the things I'm running through. So let's first talk about card games and esports. Um, and so I want to talk about card games and esports because I think they're a really interesting medium. So they're very different from shooters and they're very different from MOBAs. So for a shooter, um, the main thing is how uh, precise you need to be you know there's a lot of strategy involved and there's a lot of mechanics involved you can say a lot about RTSs as well in this regard so RTSs you're focusing a lot on actually executing your strategy now there is a lot of strategy you have to know and be super involved with but a lot of it is also just the execution so for Starcraft execution will take you you know like 80% of the way there you could probably make it all the way to masters or maybe even GM if you're just amazing at execution but that strategy is what defines the um, the latter pros from the actual pros and then conversely I shouldn't say conversely but on another hand rather you have MOBAs and a lot of shooters as well of where a lot of the skill comes into play of team dynamics so it's really hard to be, you know, amazing at these games solo. You can totally do it. You can reach the top of solo queue. Um, but the one thing that you really need to get really good like that is you have to be able to work with your team. And you have to be really good working with others and be able to communicate. And not only that, but you have to bring out the best in others. So the best in you can also be brought out. So this kind of leads me to the big point I'm making about card games in esports. It's weird because like the team aspect isn't there, the execution isn't there. It's like all strategy. And it's it's strange strategy. It's not consistent strategy like if you were thinking about StarCraft, right? So say there was an uh, a way to put two players who have perfect execution up against each other and the only difference is strategy. There's a lot that goes involved in there. But it's consistent. There's never going to be really any randomness to it. And with card games, you have this inherent randomness. Um, no matter what type of card game you play, you cannot get rid of randomness. There is always going to be variance. Um, and this seems like a problem a lot of times. Now, it, it, it isn't necessarily a detriment. So the one thing that I think of is Magic the Gathering, whenever I think of card games and variants and it not being the biggest deal. Now for Magic, yeah, there is variance and you can make giant, giant mistakes purely based on variance. So you can get mana flooded or you can just not draw any land and it's a whole big deal. And 
that does affect the game, but I don't know. I just don't feel like that occurs as often as it does in Hearthstone. So the reason why I bring this up and I think it happens so much in Hearthstone is because um, I think all the decks are just very similar, especially at the higher levels. Like whenever you have the expansion come out, um, there's a bit of time of where the um, the meta takes a little bit for it to shift around to focus and to actually like get locked into one area. But even even in the in the time building up to that, a lot of the meta is just what was good in the last expansion. What were we doing before in standard? And you really never have the instance of where someone comes into these you know pro games and they're pulling out strats no one's ever seen before. It's like whoa. Like, the most you really have is, like, interesting tech decisions. And I went off on this the other day um, when we were just doing our normal podcast about the collegiate scene. And I am sincere of where I really like high-level Hearthstone play. And it really excites me to see decks that aren't used very often or, you know, there's interesting tech decisions. Because I think that's amazing strategy. And I think that is that that's the stuff I think is super interesting. But unfortunately, I don't know if that's enough, you know? I'm I'm conflicted. I'm really conflicted on card games. Yeah, so the biggest thing I'm conflicted is like I said the variance. It just it's so weird to me that you could just get unlucky. And Hearthstone being a digital card game, they're able to implement variance in a different and unique way. So for instance in Magic the Gathering, you would never have a card that says um for one mana, deal three damage, randomly split amongst minions and the enemy. That's just something you can't really do. Now, in theory, yeah, you can do it. Like if you do some crazy insane dice rolls and blah, 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 blah. That, but that's not going to happen because it's not convenient. It's very inconvenient to like go ahead and do that mechanically or physically do that. But Hearthstone, it's all done, you know, on, on a computer so you can do that you can simulate that randomness and that is good but like it leaves some cards feeling bad you know if you're five off a of lethal and you're playing cube warlock and you have a possessed lackey down on the board and you have a way to activate it right you have one void lord and you have one doom guard in your deck there is a 50 50 chance you're gonna win that game at that moment and that feels weird because, like, if you're 1v1-ing someone in a shooter and you both have the same weapon, it's never really a percentage of one person winning and the other person losing. It's who's going to be the most skilled here. It, it's never it's never up to variance. And so, I don't know. I, I think it's I think it's weird. It, and, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, I think that's where a big strategy of Hearthstone comes out is the best players are consistently the best players because they know the variance in the game and they play to a way to reduce that variance, which I think is really interesting because now you're taking a whole new approach on the esports of where you're taking this this game that inherently has a ton of variance, but if you're at the highest level, all the plays that you're making reduces the variance down to the lowest possible degree. Now there is always still going to be that variance, but you're playing to the lowest possible degree. And like that to me is super super interesting. So so for, needless to say, I'm in this constant flux state 
of wondering whether or not Hearthstone is a good esport. Now, for simplicity's sake and my own sanity's sake, I think a good esport is any esport out there that people watch, they enjoy, and they play. Hearthstone check all, checks off all those boxes, and so I accept it as an esport, obviously. But, you know, whenever I get into these kind of like, I don't want to say philosophical talks about what is an esport and what isn't, you know, that, that those ideas kind of come back to the surface, and I have a hard time grasping on what do I actually think. Now, is it an esport? Because, you know, it's just a video game that people play competitively. Yeah, yeah, if you go by that definition, then yeah, of course it is. But if you go by like the idea of, is it a good eSport? I, I don't know. I, I don't think I can really answer that question because there is just so much left up to chance. And even if you get down to the variance being like very, very low, it is still present and it's still always present. Now, if we want to get out, out to the state of where Hearthstone is, like, in, in its state of like, is it a good game or is it a bad game? Then obviously we can go way, way, way further than that, and that's that's a topic for a different day. Day, but I just wanted to go into that and just talk about you know kind of my thoughts on how weird variances in esports and how it doesn't very it doesn't come up very often. Um, so yeah, so that's topic one down the drain, and so I actually want to talk about esports overall. And I want to ask the question of why can't all esports just be like fighting games? And so I mean that in the way of how fighting games are conducted and some of the culture behind it. So I'm a big FGC fanboy. Um, I'm terrible at fighting games. I am god awful. I was okay at my university at Street Fighter Four when when that was out but that was like the most i could ever say and even then i would just get dumpstered all the time by random people um i mechanically am not a very good person at video games like i guess i'm good enough to beat games on hard and stuff but mechanically i'm not the best person at esports by by far by far um that's why i spend most of my day playing hearthstone <laughs> um but yeah i wish more games could be like fighting games in the aspect of it feels like anyone can do it there was a there was a moment of where I was playing fighting games of where I felt like I was understanding how to play this game. And I felt like I could just go to these tournaments and I can play in them. Like, I went to a tournament once and I played in it. And, I mean, I got dumpstered in pools and I didn't make it out of pools. Actually, I went, I went one and two. I was very proud that I went one and two in my pool. But regardless, like... I still felt like it was obtainable because like you played in this tournament if you made out of pools you you went into the bracket and you could work your way up and you can win this tournament and win a prize like it was viably there for me and when I think about esports like 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 uh like League of Legends and Starcraft I there's it doesn't feel real like it doesn't feel like I could really ever get to the top like, putting aside the fact that, like, I cannot play these games super well, it just, like, I like I can't piece together in my head how I could end up on Liquid. If we're talking about Street Fighter, I could piece together in my head how to get on a team very easily, you know? Obviously, getting good is step one, but from there, 
it's it's very straightforward. You go to your weeklies, you play a lot at weeklies, you go to these these tournaments, and all of them are open bracket for the most part. And that's that's the thing I, I'm getting at is it's open bracket. Like anyone can go in and anyone can win if they're good. But for league, it's not like anyone can enter into worlds and make it to worlds and win worlds. Like it's not like any team can do that. And that's something I wish there was more of. Like, obviously, Worlds is special, and the International is special of where you have these already established pro teams, and you're following their storylines up until this big tournament, and that's cool, and that's awesome, and it's just like the World Series, and it's just like the Super Bowl, but I feel like there's a space for, for you know, being able to win the big one just being an amateur player, like... It, it sucks because there's a lot of stories out of like Evo and some other big national tournaments of where you just have this person that like people haven't really heard of that much or if they heard of him, it's just like, oh yeah, he goes to this local in, o- in Ohio and he just like, he's really good there, but like, I don't know what's going on today. He's just like popping off today. I, I can't believe he made it to, to pass pools and I can't believe he's in top 16 already. Did you hear he not- knocked out Daigo? Like, that's nuts. And, like, that stuff is really cool because, like, yeah, at Evo, oh, man, I think it was Evo 2014, this dude named Shinakuma666 knocked out Daigo Umahara. Like, or sent him to loser's bracket. No one knew who Shinakuma666 was. Like, he was this random, like, he wasn't a random dude because, obviously, he is very good at the game. But, like, for the most part, he was this random like no name that people most people didn't know about like he like the most people knew about him is that he like sometimes made out of pools but like those were tournaments no one ever really watched or whatever and like he just like knocked Daigo into losers like that's it that's insane that's like if if I like entered into a tournament and I just like randomly knocked out Faker like that's like not something that just happens like that's crazy and I really wish we could get those kinds of things like in other esports. I don't know. I, I think I think that leads me into my next topic. And that's how corporate should esports be? And I have this like burning heart for the FGC and I love how grassroots it is. I love how they just like build themselves up out of nothing. And I think that is amazing. I really think that is amazing and I think that's something that should be incorporated in esports as a whole a lot more often but i also think there's room for corporations in esports too because like i was saying before i think worlds and the international and um blizzcon finals for wcs are amazing things because they're these long built-up storylines throughout the year that have a big conclusion to them like it's amazing that you can have really long storylines of like these teams that like, and, and not even just throughout the year. I'm talking about years going back. You know, you might have a team like I don't I don't follow league that that much, but you could have a team like Liquid. Say if like Liquid like for years they were just like they just like couldn't make it to semifinals. They couldn't make it to semifinals. They were trying their best, and it was year after year they just kept getting knocked out before semis. And then this is the year, boom. They make it in the semis. Holy shit, that's so hype. 
that's the hypest shit ever. Everyone's going to be riding on that. Everyone's going to be like, oh, shit, I can't believe Team Liquid did it. And, like, all the Team Liquid haters be like, oh, no, this is bullshit. This is a fluke. Don't worry. They're going to get knocked out. And, like, obviously the most ideal scenario is they make it. They make it out of semifinals. They make it to the finals. And it's like, holy shit, this is the storyline. Like, all the people at Ryder are like, like, like rubbing their hands together. This is like, yeah, yeah, this is the storyline we've been waiting for. We're ready to hit those high view numbers. And stuff like that is super cool. And it's a lot harder to have those really long, really drawn-out storylines if things aren't corporate. Because you don't have the regular teams. You don't have the giant infrastructure of getting these teams the most resources possible. It's really hard. And I'm sure if you sit down with James... Um, and you talk with him, he will tell you this, amateur teams don't have that many resources and they really scrounge things together and they do a lot with it. Now, if you take that kind of drive that some of these amateur guys have and you throw it into a, a pro player who is like, who just is so excited that they're playing League of Legends professionally for money, you, dr- you throw that same kind of drive into them and then just fuel them with money, like, holy shit. Like that's that's insane. That's like you're 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 gonna you're gonna go so far with that, and it's amazing. It really is amazing what like a little bit of money can do because like now you can you know these guys can have coaches, and now these guys can have like sports psychologists, and they can have dietitians to make them peak their performance. Like it used to be a joke. Like. Like, sports psychologists and, like, diet and exercise used to be a joke in esports. Like, I remember the first time I heard it brought up was actually with um, with TLO. He was an old StarCraft pro. Um, he was European. And he went through a big losing streak. And he didn't really know what to do. And I think he was on Team Liquid all the time, actually. And that's why I, I, I dick ride uh, Team Liquid so hard, because I really love their StarCraft team. Because uh, I was always rooting for NA and European StarCraft pros um we just called them foreigners at the time because foreigners meant anyone who wasn't korean um but yeah so that's why i ride team liquid so hard because i really love their starcraft team uh so anyways the first time i heard about it was with tlo and the big deal there was he was just losing and he didn't know what to do until and and tl or just so i don't confuse them team liquid um went to tlo and they were like hey we have a sports sports psychologist and we have a dietitian and stuff and let's fix your practice and he was like okay and like the big meme about starcraft pros at the time was like oh yeah practice for 12 13 hours a day blah blah blah. like that's all you do you sit there and you eat ramen and that was true that was actually true a lot of people did that they they sat and they played for 13 hours a day and they ate cup noodles and they worked really good they were really really good but what they did with TLO was they said, okay, well, how about like three to four hours of practice? And how about you start exercising? And how about we start giving you a good diet? Like, don't be chugging like Red Bull and stuff at these tournaments. Let's, you know, let's get some fruits and vegetables and get some good protein in your diet. And the day before a big match, we'll load you up with some carbs and stuff like that. And he really turned it around. Like, he didn't go on to win GSL or anything, but like, we saw a big improvement. And not only that, like just his quality of life really improved. And I think that's super interesting because like that was like the first moment of where we started realizing, oh, getting good at the game is not just about playing for hours on end. 
Like there's a lot more that goes into it, especially when you have the tournament mindset of where, yeah, you know, the first couple hours of the tournament of where you're chugging monsters or Red Bull, like you're going to be peaking then. But like as soon as you start hitting that crash, you're going to feel like shit and you're going to do terrible in that tournament. So how about instead, like you eat some granola bars and like, you know, you make sure you eat a nice big breakfast and you have some fruits and stuff in between um, and take it from there. And it's weird because it took money for us to realize that which is strange because like all we needed is to call in a sports psychologist to be like you guys are fucking idiots you don't know how to practice you don't know how to have a diet like stop doing what you're doing just just follow what i'm i'm gonna tell you to do and you'll be fine and you know what people were fine and that's such common knowledge now for athletes or for esports athletes that like you don't even like think about that like the stage of your life where you're thinking that's how to be a professional player is when you're in like high school and when you're not even in the amateur scene. I guarantee you a lot of these amateur players who aren't even getting any money realize this. They realize, yeah, I need a good night's sleep. Yeah, I need to be eating a well-balanced diet and maybe I don't need to be playing for 12 hours a day. Maybe I just need nice, clear, concise practices with a coach and my teammates. And like, that's the key to it. And that's amazing because we would never have gotten that if it wasn't for the initial money coming in and these like trained professionals being like, you guys are fucking idiots. Because like, who knows what we're going to be getting next? Like, I, I think maybe the next big thing that we're going to start breaking through is just etiquette in video games. Like, maybe we're going to start off by having, you know, um, these PR people come in and kind of teach a lot of these these players like we're seeing in the overwatch league and unfortunately dallas was doing horribly we're going to see these pr people come in and be like hey how about you don't act like a fucking idiot and how about you don't say racial slurs and 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 call people horrible horrible things and professional players are gonna be like oh maybe you're right maybe they'll make you know like playing against other people better and maybe they'll make my you know mentally i'll feel a lot better because i'm not such a toxic person anymore and i'll start communicating with my team better and it, it has this really weird ripple effect and then like maybe we'll start seeing that a lot more with amateur teams even though i know like um a lot of amateur teams just just inherently a lot of them are nice because they're really passionate about what they do and so like that's like a weird like thing of where like they sometimes are already above that because like they're so passionate about what they're doing that they're putting 110% into it. And anyways, I, I'm, I'm digressing, but like maybe that'll be the next like big esports athlete renaissance is just manners. It's just having good manners um, because like bad manners in video games has been around forever. Maybe it's been around as long as, you know, the idea of play 13 hours a day and eat cup noodles and you'll be an esports bro. Um, okay. So yeah, I think... Those are really good. Now let's go on. I actually want to dig deep into the collegiate scene. I'm going to turn on my light real quick. So just give me one second. Okay, great. So. Mm -hmm. Okay, so next I want to talk about the collegiate esports scene. And I know this is something that's like, yeah, Dylan, you bring up collegiate esports literally every time on the podcast, and you write it super hard, and that's a cool thing. What more can you add about the, the collegiate esports scene? And so the thing I want to add is just how 
how different it is from what you see on the outside looking in. And mainly, I just want to talk about how organizations actually look on the inside. Because collegiate esports is you think of, oh, this university, this university, they have esports programs. Either they're, you know, either they're well-funded and have scholarships or they don't. And that's actually not the case. Each esports organization looks very, very different on the inside. So I know that Andrew is doing a piece on a university in Wisconsin. And from what he told us last time on the podcast, their club is very much um, esports players who want to be competitive. Everyone in the club is basically on a team and they want to be fielded for a team. And there's a lot of clubs like this. These are the clubs that are aiming to become programs. They want athletics, the athletics department of their school to come in and be like, hey, we're going to pick you up. You guys are going to be D1 and we're going to give you scholarships and we're going to send you places and we're going to fund you. And these competitive players are going to be like, that's perfect. Please do this. Holy shit. This is what we really want. And that's great. And I think that's what a lot of people think these sports clubs look like. And that's actually not entirely true. So there is that side of the esports clubs, which those are usually the smaller clubs. Um, granted, before they get university recognition, they're not the best players. Um, just because of the size of these, these clubs, they're not always the best players. And that's all right, though. That's, that's totally fine because um, whenever university steps in and starts giving funding and exposure, then you get really good. Um, my first instinct is RMU. Um, Robert Morris University was one of the first to step up and give, you know, um, a place for them to practice, give them scholarships, open it up to a lot of teams. And then because of that, you saw a lot of people going to these schools because they wanted the scholarships and they really want to play well for these teams. And that's awesome. But on the other hand, you have other places and usually very large schools will look like this. So for instance, this is your uh, UConn, this is your Penn State, this is your Rutgers. These esports clubs are student run, um, mostly entirely student run. They field teams and they have a big community behind them. And what's super interesting about these clubs is for the most part, they want support from the university, but they don't want to be run by the university a lot of times. It's interesting. Like, if the, if the university comes in and takes ownership of their club, then they won't be able to, like, conduct their community in the way that they want. They pride themselves on being able to run a large organization. So the first thing I think of is when I start thinking about these clubs is I start thinking that their organization's kind of like, again, I'm going to ride Liquid, but like Liquid. So I really liked Team Liquid, not only because they fielded great teams, but they also had a large community and they organized events, mainly through the Team Liquid forums back in the day. Um, because back in the day, that's where you went for StarCraft stuff. Um, we didn't have a big Reddit scene because uh, Reddit was like really new then. And so like everyone would just go to like the the, t the team liquid forums because that's where all the good stuff was happening and if you were a streamer and you wanted to get your name out there like you hopefully were able to get on the little sidebar 
of streamers who are playing StarCraft. And it was like, oh, I'm on, I'm, I'm on Liquid. Like, I have my name right there. Like, come and watch me. Like, this is sick. And so I think these larger clubs look a lot like that. I mean, obviously, they're in an in-person affair. But, yeah, these people don't want the university to come in and take all their junk because they're like, no, we, we're running this well. Like, we're organizing our teams and we're doing events and we're having our casual players feel right at home and we're having our competitive players feel like they belong somewhere. Um, I'm talking about collegiate esports right now and I'm also popping off about uh, Team Liquid. Um, but yeah, so um, they don't want the universities to come in and kind of take that away from them. And so they're really fighting up against that, which is a weird contrast to a lot of these other schools, like I said, like RMU, who is very like, hey, I want to keep I, I, I want to keep the university having a hold on me because they're giving me all this really great stuff. And I think the the fallout from these larger organizations kind of being split up and being taken by the university is what we view at UCI. So UCI is super cool. They have a giant esports arena and they field teams and they have like scholarships and they're partnered with Riot um, and they have all these large sponsors. But like, they're mostly run by like the university. Now they have a lot of small schools below them, or sorry, a lot of small clubs below them, um, which is cool for the community. But like, I don't know, I, I feel like that inherently like bumps heads against what I think uh, these clubs really should be about. And that's like, raising these students up like raising these students up and teaching them how do i run an event how do i organize a bunch of like idiot kids who like don't even really know who they are yet into like organized teams and you know kind of run with that i i don't know i think i think it's i think you lose out on it like you do gain a lot like in resources you gain a ton and ton of resource but i also think it takes away a lot of really strong, valuable things that you can get out of these organizations. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's basically the gist about it. Um, you do lose out a lot on on your hmm, I, what's the right word for it? You lose out a lot on your autonomy whenever you end up becoming one of these large schools like RMU, who are giant esports people who have giant scholarships and all that. Um, but yeah, so. That basically wraps up my my discussion on how the different clubs kind of look. So um, I guess now I'll just kind of take it and see what everyone else is thinking. Um, do you guys have any thoughts on this? Do you like disagree with me? Um, I know uh, Fallen Hobo, you disagree. Um, yeah, tell me, tell me, tell me what's up. Tell me what's good about about Kleji Sports. And, and like I was saying, I, I, I don't think this is inherently a bad thing. I think it's just a step in a different direction. Um, I definitely think they could mold an esports scene in a way of where this isn't hindered. Um, and I know I kind of like went in on UCI a little bit, but I don't think they completely lost that. I know they have the esports arena and a lot of people work in the esports arena. Um, so they're able to kind of combat that a little bit um, and still be able to rise up the student leaders. So I don't think it's a complete waste. I think maybe it's the growing pains of switching from one to the other of where you have this, of where if you're a small school like RMU, because RMU is, is a very small school, um, you don't have the community at the school necessarily to build up these large communities and rise the student leaders. 
And so you only are fielding these teams that are you, you're bringing in on scholarships rather than like UCI, who is a large school and they also really love esports and they really love tech stuff. And so you're able to kind of have the best of both worlds where you get a lot of funding and you also do have a pretty sick community behind them. And so that, that's, that, that's, that's what I think about it. Um, and yeah, I, I still think collegiate esports has a lot of ways to go. Um, the biggest issue that I always see is that it's really hard for them to keep building up on top of each other because, you know, students cycle in and out so often that it's hard for them to build these building blocks and really keep up with them. Um, you'll see all the best schools are able to uh, figure out how to do this best and keep those building blocks there so they can keep going higher and higher. And all the schools who do really cool things um, sometimes burn out in a flash because they'll have someone super amazing at their school and then just flash, do a lot of crazy stuff, and then they graduate. And then it's like, oh, well, we have no one to run this club anymore. <laughs> um, this is definitely an issue with a lot of small schools that try to build up this community, but they can't really get that much traction. Um, but yeah, so I think that wraps up my random kind of talks about esports. Um, I know I ran through like a bunch of different topics for the last half hour or so. Um, I'm going to end up clipping it up a little bit um, down for um, iTunes and Stitcher and Google Play and all that, um, which will probably go up tomorrow. Um, on YouTube, if you want to watch this kind of in a more bite-sized version, um, might clip up clip up the clips uh for each of these topics so you can go ahead and watch them there um but yeah i think that does it for for my little spiel on all the things i want to pop off with esports so uh thanks for stopping by if you stop by um be sure to check us out on itunes at project esports podcast um you can also look us up on youtube at project esports podcast and twitter and all those good social media stuff um so thanks guys for tuning in